Black women need to see people that look like them. They need to feel as though somebody understands them in terms of like what it means to be a black woman living in Nova Scotia. And so if a client goes and accesses the service and there's nobody that looks like them, then the support that they receive could look very different because their needs may not be met. The importance of having those programs culturally relevant is it's key to making sure that Indigenous community members are not falling through the cracks. There are so many barriers, so many challenges that our people are facing to get support that, okay, it's not working. We need to change. That's why creating community care evolved. The perfect victim is not Black or Indigenous. Um, so automatically, when uh, the police are called, then they have these stereotypes, they have these biases of, oh, what did that person do? Oh, well, how did they play a role into um, what happened here? And I guess that's how people end up being over-criminalized and getting overcharged because they're already not seen as a victim. We have um, women coming into our shelters who were children with their mother who came into the shelter 20, 25, 30 years ago. So there's certainly a generational aspect of this cycle of violence. And if we have people who are repeatedly coming in and the children of mothers coming into our transition houses, the current approaches are not working. Violence against women still exists. Over the past five episodes, we've learned how the Creating Communities of Care project emerged from a need to better understand and support women in urban Indigenous and African Nova Scotian communities. We've heard from experts and practitioners why the issue of gender-based violence presents itself differently in these two communities and why culturally relevant community-based approaches are the solution. We learned about the transformative work happening in four incredible partner organizations, the Elizabeth Fry Society of Mainland Nova Scotia, the Mi'kmaq Native Friendship Center, the Association of Black Social Workers, and the Mi'kmaq Legal Support Network, and how they've impacted the lives of women who work with them. Finally, we've taken a look into the practice of culturally relevant services and what it means to both clients and facilitators to integrate teachings from customary law and Afrocentricity into services and programs. In this final episode, we'll explore the overarching effects of this project and what is at stake for the future of creating communities of care. This is the Creating Communities of Care podcast. My name is Cheyenne Labrador. This system that we have, you know, for as far as the Indigenous population, like this, this system was created to beat the Indian out of the child. Like, that is what the system is for. <laughs> yeah, and to separate Black families um, by criminalizing the father and having the mother live in poverty and then over-surveilling our people. This is Sarah and Mukisa from EFRI. Every day at work, they see strong women fighting an impossible fight. They witness the consequences of inaction in Nova Scotia's prisons firsthand. Yeah. And I, I find this, the narrative of the perfect victim is interesting. Um, and it's because it's completely true. It's, it's the damsel in distress and it's somebody who is grateful and soft-spoken and meek and mild and 
that's that's not what our women represent. Our indigenous women, our black women, are that is not that. They're very strong. <laughs> yeah, and you know we are the the providers of the family, and that's the historic and cultural significance of women in our cultures is very strong. Yeah, I think people don't really see how little rehabilitation yes. is actually a part of our prisons, which is none, by the way. Yes. Prisons do not rehabilitate people. It is non-existent. There are community organizations who do go in and provide programming, but outside of that, the prison itself is not providing that. So I think we need to really think about if we want to spend $2.7 billion a year just to um, traumatize people more. Yeah. Tanya from MLSN knows the real solutions lie outside of colonial systems. And the Creating Communities of Care project has provided an opportunity to circumvent them. Indigenous people took care of their own when it came to dealing with behavior that was seen as not appropriate in the community. So traditionally, the community was the ones uh, to decide, uh, involving elders especially, what those uh, conditions would be, what the punishment would be. For the community, you feel more comfortable within your own community. And I think that's where the communities of care, you know, um, mandate mission came from was dealing with our own people in our own community and having our own supports, because we know that that is more successful when dealing with uh, supporting people who are Indigenous. It's it's been proven, you know, that it's it's better care and it's a better service to be able to go to your own community and get those types of supports. When you take away from children what, you know, they are they should be allowed to to have to build who they are as people, when you don't give them the same opportunities, they can't flourish and they can't be proud of who they are because when you take one part of that medicine wheel teaching away from our kids, so we have, you know, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Well, when you take certain parts of that away, it throws everything else out of balance. Angela believes that reconnecting with culture is the first step towards breaking down the systems that perpetuate oppression and having the ability to do so is a right. Our ways were gifted back to us because of the Mi'kmaq Native Friendship Center here in Jabuktuk. It is crucial that we have this. It's crucial that this always is here because when you take away these programs, we're left alone again. Denise from the Friendship Center says that the success is found through the Communities of Care Project start with building safe spaces that encourage people to seek help. There's a lot of intergenerational trauma. You know, a lot of women may experience the violence in their home or historic violence. Just alone, even coming forward to speak of that may be very difficult for that woman. You know, like she may not ready to, to deal with it. She don't know, maybe she don't know what services are there from at the Friendship Center. A lot of courage to, to even come in probably the doors. She opened up about trauma that she's endured. It takes a lot of courage for a woman to do that. And it takes time. And that's where it is meeting them where they're at. What I love about the Creating Communities of Care project is that 
it really is a step in the right direction to helping create that awareness and help to break down some of that silence. It is one project, so it's not that it's going to change everything overnight and that our community is going to be healed completely. But I think it's a step in the right direction of just even bringing up the word gender-based violence or even you know, asking the question, what does it look like in our communities? How does it show up? So that in itself is breaking the silence. My feelings in terms of these workshops and um, kind of what the outcome was of them was that I definitely felt a sense of hope. Um, I definitely feel like these workshops were steps in the right direction um, when talking about gender-based violence or even just violence as a whole. I would say that these workshops left me feeling very empowered as well and wanting to have more of these conversations among family and friends and kind of, you know, hear their thoughts about it as well. In her time working with ABSW, Renee has seen the needle shift, and a lot of that is thanks to the Communities of Care Project. She's already developed a clear idea of how to build off these successes and what that will mean for the African Nova Scotian community. For the future, um, definitely heard from Black women that they want to see more of these spaces. So going forward, I would say that we have more of these spaces, that we create more safer spaces where Black women can come together to do various things. And I see that happening within ABSW, but I also see that in the wider community as well. Um, There's many different initiatives going on um, that are specifically geared towards Black women or Black people, um, whether it's through fitness, whether it's through tourism, whether it's through um, beauty. Like there's so many opportunities for us to gather and feel empowered and build relationships with each other. So going forward, we need more of that. Um, And also, as I mentioned, more ways of incorporating men into these workshops and conversations. The incorporation of men and boys into these programs is a goal facilitators from every partner organization share. I would just include the importance of involving men, specifically Black men, into these conversations. So through the work with ABSW, my work is specifically focused on Black women and working with Black women, but there's also work to be done with Black men and including them into these conversations. Um, So we are currently working on creating, I mentioned the Black Women in Healing series, but we're also looking at creating a Black Men in Healing series. So Men definitely need to be a part of this conversation and we're going to do what we can to create something similar to the women in healing. So offering some sort of workshops that promote healing for black men. The reality of funding programs through grants is that the money is finite and the CCC program is now at a stage where funding will soon end. And from Than's worries about what this means to community to facilitators, and ultimately, to survivors. What would happen is that they would have less options available to them. And I think they would be forced to go through those traumatic and um, traditional structures that don't necessarily work for them. It's one of the few spaces 
that we have right now um, for victims' voices to be heard. And I think that's really important towards healing. And of course, as I said, the community organizations would still exist. They would still provide services to these survivors, but they would be operating with less funding. They would be operating with less support. And, and in turn, the services would suffer as well. That's the key here is being able to continue these services and to provide support to survivors. What Denise wants is to continue the work started during the Creating Communities of Care project and to invest in expanding programs like her Circle of Sisters. We've been expanding, like our Circle of Sisters that definitely grew over the years, and I just love seeing that. And that's the Creating Communities of Care, you know, with the funding, able to do that in a way that fits what's needed, you know, and that's what's so unique as well. You know, of course, we have to do our reports and data, but we know what's working for, you know, we have that flexibility to do that, you know, with the Circle of Sisters or any other of our program because we're meeting the needs of our community. For Sarah Mukisa from Elizabeth Fry, the programs and services offered through CCC counter the trauma and harm the justice system inflicts on survivors. Through their clients, they see the ways in which our flawed systems reproduce inequality, criminality, and ultimately, violence. To these two women and their colleagues, a return to the way things were before communities of care is unthinkable. They continue to advocate for radical change. Instead of funding prisons, we need to invest in people and their futures instead. So we need to invest in therapy, we need to invest in culturally relevant programming, supportive housing, and organizations that help people work through their traumas and work through their addictions so that we don't need the criminal justice system. For our future, to get a better justice system or just a completely new justice system, firstly, I do think it's important to have more adequate representation of African, Nova Scotian, and Indigenous. We need lawyers, we need social workers. Lawyers turn to judges, right? And that makes a huge difference in more knowledgeable people on staff. So we need people informed on Afrocentricity and customary law. I would love to see referrals to creating communities of care, referrals directly to nonprofit organizations or community members rather than the justice system. So just eliminate the justice system completely and just connect people directly with supports. Senator Wanda calls for a change in the funding model. For the continued success of programs like CCC, the precarity of the grant system must be left behind for something more stable and predictable. Having the resources. I mean, one of the things about project-based funding is the funding runs out. But you've spent a lot of time building relationships. And I think one of the things that should be considered is how do you, how do you continue this work? How do you continue the model? Can the model be scaled up and what kind of resources and supports are available for that to happen? That's pretty essential. I'd like this type of work to have a more secure future. So moving away from grant-based funding, project-based funding, to really looking at some of what 
was what was done in this project as core practices, best practices. You know, these are these are programs and services that worked for these two communities. Um, why aren't those communities given the supports they need to continue this work? And also putting more resources into prevention. Instead of dealing with the trauma of gender-based violence, let's work together to prevent gender-based violence. So I think we need policy changes at the federal level that would help communities um, more easily access the funding that they need to do this kind of deeply rooted community-based work. I think the province, we need a stronger uh, provincial, territorial, federal partnerships. And if we, if we focus more of our attention on prevention, then I think in the long run, we, we all benefit so much more. To Emma, the fact that services provided through CCC falls under the category of special programming is a reflection of the racism and colonialism deeply embedded in our systems. And I think it's important to note that even communities of care is a special project. And this is something that bothers me deeply. Why is it that the needs of African Nova Scotian and Indigenous women are are on the margins? Are, oh, this is like a special project on the side and not embedded into operational funds at, at, um, within government and not seen as, as essential because these are our community members. That has tremendous implications. For Anne, the successes of the Creating Communities of Care project shine a glaring light through the many cracks in the systems and services offered to survivors of gender-based violence. The effectiveness of the strategies implemented by facilitators in this project speak to the great and continued need for more culturally specific approaches to care. She says that the progress made by the Creating Communities of Care project is the first of many steps towards long-lasting change. It always comes back to funding. Um, we need more funding for these types of projects because, as we've established, there is a lack of culturally relevant services in Halifax, HRM, provincially, nationally, um, there aren't enough. So the violence against women sector has historically been underfunded and it continues to be underfunded. So while it's great to have these um, opportunities through project funding to have creating communities of care, for example, what is actually going to make a difference is long-term and sustainable funding. So that's one of the biggest barriers, I think, that, you know, it's a trickle-down effect um, because there's not enough funding or the project ends after a certain term. Those facilitators who are providing those programs can do so for two years, but then after that, they know that what was once offered to these women and they've seen the positive impact that it makes they then have to deal with taking that away or not being able to provide that anymore throughout our sector. This is a worry. When there's an influx of funding, rather than being extremely happy about it, there is a second thought that follows, which is, okay, how are we going to keep this going? What are we going to do once it ends? 
Um, and we saw that during the COVID pandemic as well. There was a huge influx of funding, which was great. But now it's running out. And during that time, certain projects like creating communities of care were established, pro services were expanded, but those were dependent on that funding. I think with projects like creating communities of care and the successes coming out of them, my hope is that there's more secure funding, more long-term and sustainable funding. People working in this sector know this, um, know that this kind of approach to service delivery works. But having these projects where we can showcase that and point to it and say, here's what works um, and we've done it and it was successful, I think that can make a huge difference. Um, and being able to secure that long-term sustainable funding will help to continue provide these types of services to people. The importance of continuing this work, working from the ground up, is really important. And I think doing more of this work will move us into that whole uh, territory of prevention. And that's ultimately going to help uh, all of our communities. If this work sort of just abruptly stops, it means that we, that we stop doing what we were doing. So continuing the work is important. I think where my hope lies is that things have really changed since the 90s. Um, you know, it's slow moving, but they are making space for us in the courtrooms with Native court workers, um, with customary law. It's very slow paced and on a grand scale, I don't know exactly how much of an impact it's made, but I can only go on individual experiences um, and know that we've helped people in our community slowly but surely we have change happening and it is my hope that you know by the time my grandkids you know are grown that things look a whole lot different we are at a time now where we're not backing down we will stand up ethically morally and we will not be told to sit back down because guess what the future is bright we we are going to soar and i am absolutely grateful to be part of this and i'm so happy that i am in the four years since its conception the creating communities of care project has changed lives it's given hope where there was once only despair it's provided community to those who once felt alone is reconnected women with culture, language, and ceremony that was taken away from them and their ancestors. And it's helped to broaden the conversation around gender-based violence. There is still much work to do, and there will continue to be work to do until the social problem of violence against women has been fully addressed. We still largely cling to a culture of silence and complicity, but each time a woman is given the chance to heal in a holistic, culturally specific context, we are given the chance to learn, reflect, and to grow. Another glimmer of hope rests in the women involved in creating communities of care programs today. As we've learned, many of these women will continue to nurture their communities as an element of their own healing. Women accessing services today 
often return as service providers tomorrow, continuing in the mission of breaking generational curses. The future of this work is in their capable hands. Our job will be to support them. If you heard your own story throughout this podcast and are interested in learning more about a Communities of Care partner organization, check out the show notes for links and resources. If you are facing gender-based violence in your own life, know that it isn't your fault and there are those who will help you. I'm Cheyenne Labrador. Wallalan. Thank you.